Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 51st edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is scanning the e-discovery horizon, issues and trends. We're delighted to welcome our longtime friend, Rob Robertson. Based in Austin, Texas, Rob is a noted technology marketer who has held senior leadership positions with multiple top tier legal technology providers. Currently, he is a managing partner with technology marketing consultancy, Complex Discovery Solutions, with a strong interest in e-discovery, information governance, and social media. Rob writes and posts regularly on technology and marketing topics on his often referenced Complex Discovery blog. Welcome, Rob. Thank you very much, uh, John and, and Sharon, and I'm delighted to have a chance to speak with you today and certainly glad to have an opportunity to be a part of your Digital Detective Series. Well, Rob, we're happy you could join us too, and I know you had a real busy week and you kind of shoehorned this in for me, so I'm very grateful for that. And let's maybe start by asking you how you would characterize the current state of e-discovery from an opportunity and growth perspective. There's been a lot written about that recently. Absolutely, Sharon. And, you know, anytime one comments on the size, opportunity, and growth of the e-discovery market, it's very tricky because there's so many different components and factors uh, involved. On a high level, I'd say that from my review of expert opinions and reports, that the combination of software and services that make up the worldwide market for e-discovery appears in 2014 to be just over $6.2 billion in spending, uh, with software uh, comprising approximately 30% of that and services uh, comprising approximately 70% of that spend. When you talk about opportunity and growth, it does appear to be growing at a consistent rate over the years, approximately 15% this year. And I base that on you know simple mashup projections. And then following those type of projections, it looks like the market should hit about $11 billion by 2018, with about two-thirds of that spending being in the United States market. And just as an aside, Sharon and John, when I say mashup projections, you know, right now, at least to my knowledge, there's really no single report that one can go to to find out the market size of both services uh, and uh, software. So what I do is, uh, and have done regularly since 2012, is take the, the leading reports from industry experts and firms such as Gartner, IDC, 451 Research, and, and, and individuals such as Deborah Logan, such as Sean Pike, such as David Horrigan, and kind of combine them into a mashup that does break out the services and software based on data points from all of those reports. And in looking at the the results have been rather consistent over the years from 2012 to 2014 with growth at just over 50%. So I think, you know, and a long answer to a short question is uh, uh, there certainly is growth opportunity in the marketplace. And I think the real message behind the numbers, Sharon and John, is, is you know, vendors that are creating uh, offerings that meet client needs. Uh, the business opportunity is there. 
the majority of the opportunity the next several years appears to be in the delivery of services, uh, as that's the largest part of the market, but the software market is growing at an even faster clip. And that spending uh, in the United States continues to be where a majority of the e-discovery spend occurs, with roughly 70% of the spend occurring in that arena. Rob, over time, how have you seen the impact of market opportunity impact the pulse rate of mergers, acquisitions, and investments? That's an interesting question, John, especially in light of some of the uh, acquisitions and, and, and investment events that have occurred over the last several years. Uh, you know, from my perspective, I've tracked this since roughly 2001 in kind of a non-formal, non-scientific way. And in looking at firms that have operate in and around the e-discovery space, there's been roughly 200 merger acquisition or investment events. And if you look at it on a year-to-year basis, uh, the pulse rate continues to uh, accelerate over time, and it tends to follow the investment cycle uh, or merger and acquisition cycle of, you know, the, the economy as a whole. And just to give you an example, if you look at 2014, this year so far, we've had approximately 30-plus events in the e-discovery realm, which is up from uh, 21 in 2013 and up from a peak of the last 14 years from roughly 47 events in uh, the uh, 2012 timeframe. And, and the drivers seem to be fairly consistent as far as, you know, uh, requirements that are driving these events. You know, the first one is when firms are taking part in these events, when they need to increase their technology capability by purchasing new technology or complementary technology to what they have. A uh, second driver is, is those firms who really need to increase their sales and support in infrastructure to get to specific markets. And last but certainly not least is, you know, those firms who really are interested in buying access to clients. And, you know, to put a face on this, I think, you know, there are some notable events over the last several years. Most recently, the uh, Microsoft letter of intent to purchase a Quivio uh, for honor about, you know, two hundred million dollars. Uh, last year, uh, Ubic uh, had an IPO for roughly one hundred and four million. And then I think many of us, with specifically that have had eyes in the e-discovery space for a while, remember the Symantec acquisition of Clearwell in two thousand and eleven, which was just mm-hmm. under four hundred million. And the, of course, the AT purchase of Autonomy, uh, you know, a little over eleven billion back in two thousand and eleven. So again, another long answer to a short question: that the pulse rate continues to accelerate. And there certainly appears to be opportunity uh, for those willing to make investments in, in the community. Well, yeah, on the other side of the coin, Rob, I think a lot of people have trouble trying to distinguish between the various vendors out there because there are so many of them. And they can't even distinguish between uh, the, the pricing models. So how do you get some sort of way of looking at vendors in a, in a neutral fashion so that you know what services they offer and what your pricing will ultimately be? I, I think it's very hard to find apples to apples comparisons. No, Sharon, you you hit the nail on the head. The, the the biggest challenge many times is being able to create that apples to apples, oranges to oranges comparison. So you're evaluating organizations, you know, from a position of similarity. Uh, one way in which you know I've done this myself and and. 
and, and many people have done it in different areas, is to kind of break the market down into general categories. And, and from my perspective, the way I see it, and this follows kind of a two-tier technology model uh, of breaking down the market that I was exposed to, you know, back with Compact in the uh, late 90s, is there's really three general type of organizations in our marketplace today or e-discovery providers in our marketplace today. There's a developer group and basically these organizations primarily focused on creating and selling proprietary technologies or services. There's a group I call the integrators and they're organizations that combine and resell technology and services developed or purchased from others and there may be a custom development associated with that. And then last, there's a group I call the aggregators, and these aggregators, they combine and resell technologies and services uh, developed and purchased from others. So being able to establish what a, an organization's center of gravity is, and what I mean by center of gravity is at the end of the day, that organization is either a developer organization at heart or they're an organization that integrates various solutions from a technical perspective, i.e. an integrator, or they're an aggregator where there may be some process uh, integration, but the truth is they're basically packaging and reselling available services. And then from that, Sharon, uh, I, I kind of begin to categorize and put a face on different providers in, in those arenas. Thank you. Ron. That was a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he knows so much about this topic. It's amazing. But Rob, for us lowly consumers of, of this technology that's out there, what are some of the decision points that, that we should be considering when we're, when we're trying to compare solutions? There, there are an awful lot of them, and I, I would say, John, that if you talk to 10, 10 different people, they would probably give you 10 different checklists for that. But for me, simplistically, it really falls along four key points, and the primary, first and foremost one being, you know, the capability of the solution that you're looking for, followed certainly by the business elements of cost, time, and complexity. And when I talk capability, it's just simply the ability of a solution to perform a task, and that's important because it really requires practitioners to define what they need and then to ensure the potential solutions that they're looking at can do what they need to be done. Uh, once an organization has ascertained that and can begin to compare uh, solutions on capabilities, then I think it's a combination of the three additional factors I mentioned, cost, time, and complexity as far as determining what is best for them based on you know, their cost, capability, or desire to spend based on the time that they have available, uh, and then also based on the complexity that they're willing to introduce into the problem because complexity always adds a, a level of risk. So those four areas, capability, cost, time, and complexity, are really the lens that I look through and I hear uh, clients uh, uh, and experts in the market assessing solutions uh, through. You know, when we were talking prior to actually doing this podcast, you, you mentioned uh, – asking about technology opportunities that you see in the e-discovery and information governance markets. And that just made me laugh because information governance was not a term that we heard a long time ago. It was records management. And, and now, of course, it, it has most correctly been re renamed sort of information governance, which is much, much broader. Um, but, but what technological opportunities are you seeing? You know, Sharon, I mean, there's a variety of opportunity for technologies that, you know, 
enable new capabilities uh, or enhance old capabilities in both e-discovery and information governance. And, you know, while we read more every day about some more well-known technologies like predictive coding uh, and document review technologies, you know, for me, some of the more interesting things are the less written about, less mentioned ones. And they're just as relevant. And some of those technologies, you know, uh, worth investigating, at least from my perspective and from what I'm hearing, you know, from the marketplace or things like visual classification and e-discovery processing. And to talk real quickly about what I mean by that is, you know, you know, in the area of new capabilities, you know, uh, technologies like visual classification and information governance really uh, enable a whole uh, different level of analysis, indexing, search, track, and reporting uh, on file metadata and content. In fact, Gartner, which is one of the leading analyst firms uh, uh, in, in the information governance and e-discovery, actually in technology world as a whole, did a report. They evaluated about 28 different uh, providers and their file analysis solutions. And I mentioned that is because many of the names in that report we would recognize today as vendors in the information governance and in the e-discovery realm. But interestingly enough, of those 28 different types of technologies, only one really began to analyze files based on their appearance as opposed to analyzing them solely on or analyzing files solely based on textual or, or metadata content. And this is unique because it does op open up an entirely different realm in which uh, systems can evaluate files because they're no longer uh, operating under the constraints of textual analytics, but they have the ability to, you know, compare pictures and glyphs and things of that nature. So I think that's kind of neat in the, the area of emerging technology. And then going to the other end of the spectrum, if you look at, you know, enhancing older technologies, I think e-discovery processing, you know, provides an opportunity because of the computational power that's available for a lot of organizations today. I mean, with the ability to access, you know, uh, infrastructure like Amazon's web services or uh, their Elastic Compute Cloud or simple storage services, you know, these type of resources now allow organizations to quickly scale the power that's available for processing and literally compress the time required to complete processing tasks in a manner that doesn't correspondingly drive up cost. And, and there's an opportunity nowadays for organizations, you know, where they could choose to use one server for 100 days or they could choose to use one server or 100 servers for one day and still complete the same task at roughly the same cost. And, you know, understanding the cost of processing has dropped from, you know, roughly $1,800 a gig back in 2006 to, you know, sub-150 today. You know, that's a, that's a pretty neat and, and pretty unique capability given the dependency of almost all information governance and uh, e-discovery uh, tools on uh, the task of processing. Well, Rob, I'm going to, maybe this is more of a, a crystal ball question, but, and, and what the future holds, but what, what do you see that the providers are, are working on to support what the customer needs? Well, that's a great question. And, and, hear a lot of organizations sharing their approaches uh, and, and their techniques uh, at, at creating uh, better value from a business perspective for clients. But most of those, when you boil them down, John, typically revolve around cost predictability and, and cost reduction. 
And the way that I've seen it manifest itself in the marketplace is, you know, obviously the increased ability of traditional offerings, uh, but delivered as part of a managed service package uh, or delivered under a new pricing model that may be based on fixed per document pricing or all-in pricing. And the managed services uh, area is one that I think if, you know, in, in looking at many of the websites and, and, and deliverables that uh, e-discovery providers have today, you're seeing almost all leading providers having some sort of, some sort of managed service offering. And simply stated, you know, managed services tend to give corporations and law firms increased access to the latest technologies and support skills, really without the requirement of procurement and deployment of hardware, software, and personnel. Mm -hmm. And this is beneficial from a business perspective in the fact that it can reduce CapEx cost and reduction in overall uh, cost-related risk. And it also allows people to budget more effectively and redeploy uh, internal business resources while still achieving their objectives. So that's one way, but typically, again, John, a long answer to a short question, most of the newer business approaches have revolved around managed services and or, you know, cost models. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the feedbacks we get a lot is the the cost predictability. Well, this is normally the spot in our show where we hear words from our sponsors. This potentially represents a unique opportunity for you. Digital Detectives is seeking sponsors. You can hear your advertisement right here. If you're interested, contact the team at Legal Talk Network at info at legaltalknetwork.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is scanning the e-discovery horizon, issues and trends. Our guest is Rob Robinson, a managing partner with technology marketing consultancy, Complex Discovery Solutions, and a longtime friend. So we're very privileged to have him with us. Rob, with all the information that's available in the market today, how in the world do you keep up with all of the developments and data points uh, that that people want to understand about e-discovery and the information governance market? It seems to me like you must have a data pipe stuck well down your throat all the time. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Uh, Sharon, no, I think the first thing is, first of all, I, I, I and others, you have to come to the realization that you can't keep up with all the topics and developments and people at all the time. And I've been lucky over time to develop kind of a systematic pattern of gathering information and filtering it and cataloging it. You know, that's allowed me to take advantage of RSS feeds, Twitter posts, LinkedIn posts, uh, reviewing alerts from TalkWalker and kind of aggregate them together and then review and determine the things uh, that that are most applicable, that have the highest pulse rate of mention, and that I see experts, you know, such as yourself, uh, mentioning in the marketplace so I can uh, take them and, and, and do further review on them. And so, it's, you know, a short, a- or a short answer to a, a long question, uh, it's impossible to keep up with everything. You know, keep up with those people that you value their objective opinions as organizations to provide valuable content, and then typically the understanding of what's going on will take care of itself. Well, well Rob, I, I know you're a social media maven, uh, and and I'm not, but it seems to be a real big part of your your research and, and your reading, which you just you know mentioned some some of the social media that you track. But in general, how do you characterize its use from a from an influencer and, and provider perspective? 
John, that's a great question. And from an organizational and individual perspective, there's usually two areas, you know, I think that are important to understand in, in social media. One is the active use of it in sharing information and both from an awareness and a engagement perspective. And then secondly, it's the active use of social media to listen and hear about what's going on in the marketplace. Okay, I'm going to trot out the crystal ball again and have you look into it and tell us what you see uh, impacting, what events you see impacting e-discovery and information governance next year, 2015. Uh, Sharon, that's a great question. I th- and it's that time of the year, I think, where we're going to have the uh, opportunity to see an awful lot of individuals and organizations share what their view of you know, to that, what 2015 portends for those areas. You know, for me, yeah, at a very high level, you know, there's three things I think, you know, that are going to have some type of impact that, that'll be uh, uh, certainly measurable. One is the, uh, uh, the changes in the federal rules of civil procedure. Uh, secondly, uh, the fact that many organizations, and I, you know, talk about this from a provider perspective, many organizations' technologies are at the point where they're either going to need to be updated uh, or uh, augmented in a manner to keep up with the, the growing uh, requirements of data uh, and the level of analysis. And then, you know, last but not least, and again, this is one that, that you know, we, you could say every year is the continuing pressure uh, of time uh, and, and the cost compression in the delivery of uh, services and technology are, are certainly going to have an impact. You know, on the FRCP front, I uh, had an opportunity, um, uh, Sharon and John, to speak to a mutual friend of ours the other day, Tom O'Connor, and Tom crystallized what I thought the impact of those changes would be. And just, you know, real quickly from a topical level, sharing with what he, sharing with you what he shared with me is, you know, obviously the driver uh, of those changes uh, in, in regards to e-discovery is the corporate concern for cost preservation. He shared that, you know, he felt based on what he had heard from experts that uh, the impact would be minimal since, you know, from a, certainly from a federal level, the, the practical impact is only roughly 5% of the cases uh, have e-discovery tied to them. And then last but not least, he felt that the, the, the practical impact uh, for the legal practitioner would be minimal, but it would be a very strong impact on those individuals who didn't have a command on how to ask the right questions at the right time because it would really unmask some of those uh, uh, inadequacies uh, in, in relation to uh, uh, meeting the, the FRCP requirements. Well, well, Rob, as one of the early adopters of social media, and, and I know Sharon <laughs> That's actually, I think, how Sharon first met you was over social media. He, he was he was my hero. He was my mentor in the beginning. And I learned from Rob and I followed Rob more comprehensively than anyone else because he was so darn good at it. I think he still is good at it. And, and, and you're obviously, it's one of your passions. But any considerations for the, the legal professionals on how they should consider it both as a record generator, uh, meaning e-discovery and informa- information governance, and as a communication tool, meaning marketing? Absolutely, John. I and, and this will be a very, uh, you know, short answer you know, to, to a long question. Is I I think it is the same view that I had when you and Sharon and I talked back in 2010 in discussing types of offerings that could help corporations address social media in the marketplace from an e-discovery perspective. And first and foremost, I think. 
social media communications and conduits, they have to be viewed as significant as any other unstructured data. And I think if organizations take that view, then they do have the expertise and the understanding or the ability to engage with experts who have that ability and understanding uh, to, to comprehend it fully as you would uh, a, an email or, you know, a, a paper, you know, a piece of paper communication today. And then as far as getting the message out, uh, John, I, I think it needs to be leveraged just as any other communication tool. I mean, there, there are different views of different conduits and, and their impact on the market, but if you view each of them as a thread, I think it's important that organizations use pieces of all those threads to kind of weave the fabric of their communications. And I think the organizations that are effective of that will, you know, engage with their clients, will first of all become aware to potential clients and market, and then certainly will have the the opportunity to engage, which is the ultimate, you know, objective, you know, of social media. Well, we're very glad to have you with us today, Rob, and you have always been one of the most neutral observers of the e-discovery world, and I've always valued your your advice because you are, in fact, neutral and you have you have sought to inform everybody that's followed you, and uh, you have a very high sense of personal integrity, and that's not something I get to say very often. So I've been delighted that we've been friends for so long, and I want to thank you for sharing your considerable expertise today with our listeners. Thank you very much, Sharon and John, and, and I appreciate the work that you do in the education piece. And uh, again, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity to participate in your Digital Detective series. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review us on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and security services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.